I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the new episode of Blaster Cannon, a Den of Geek podcast. This is episode 12 and I'm one of your hosts, Seth. With me is Megan. Hello. And Paul. Hello. (laughs) So we're here to talk about Star Wars news and also the newer Star Wars book, Inferno Squad, which is the Battlefront 2 novel, Mm. which isn't a novelization, but it's about Battlefront, kind of. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yes. first, we're going to dig into some of the news over the last month. Uh, first of all, there have been Obi-Wan movie rumors, more so than usual because they've been in trade magazines, I guess, and seem relatively legit, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm always iffy on those kinds of things because I don't know much about the trades magazine or website things but yeah, yeah. all right well th- just I, I can tell you right now that the the first people who reported on this was a hollywood reporter and then yeah and then anthony bresenkin mr star wars you know publicist himself it seems like um he seconded it and then the big one if you get variety to confirm it in my opinion variety is like pretty much a slam dunk 100 it's pretty much a press release they also confirmed it so you've had yes. three. Anthony Bresnikan, I believe, was the one who said it was the people were in talks. Like it was just the talk stage, but it was at the talk stage. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. That yeah. according to him. So. Anyway. Yeah. Because the way I read his his tweet was like kind of caution. Like it's not definitely happening, but it's being discussed. Is that how you took that? I. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say I think this movie's happening 100 percent because uh, besides Bresnikin, which I I I don't I'm not I'm not like an anti-Bresnikin or anything, but I don't follow him. I'm not a big Entertainment Weekly guy. Um, you know, we're gonna talk about some of their stuff today, which I like their some of their Star Wars stuff, but I really don't really know. I know he's got tons of Star Wars connections. He's also too close to Lucasfilm, so he's got to protect himself too to an extent. So um, I don't know when when I get. You know, independent sources from the Hollywood Reporter and then Variety. I think it's. A, I don't think it's like. A, what's the word? I don't think that it's like one hundred percent like going to be made announced like tomorrow. But I think it's going to be announced in the next three four months. And I think they're going to have a director. I mean, Variety and and the Hollywood Reporter aren't going to report on these things unless like talks are really heavy and going. You know, going places. Meaning like it's just a matter of time. Before, because you know, not only are these people talk are these people talking about money and you know all that jazz, but they're talking about story, who's going to write it, how much control you're going to have. I mean, this is all part of the negotiation process, and how much 
you know, the money goes into that. Like, you know, should I pay <laughs> for more for that? I mean, there's so many different things going into this. So, so when you have someone in talks to do this, you're obviously, you know, you're building up like, okay, here's your pitch. We like your pitch. Let's figure this out. Like, so for me, I think there's a pitch. I think, you know, that there's probably a general idea what's going to happen. And I think they're just trying to get it all figured out because I think, and, and it's just funny because I, I just think it's a no brainer. You have an actor who's, he's not like a hard to get actor. I mean, he is in a sense, but you're also a very powerful studio that, you know, Ewan McGregor will probably come running for the most part to do it. Not because yeah, I was going to say, like, you're talking about a lot of people for this. Uh, it's synonymous with Ewan McGregor. Like I, I see a lot of fans saying, yeah, an Obi-Wan movie's going to happen. Really excited about it. But if it's not Ian McGregor, it's not the same. Right. So I, Well, I think if it's not Ian McGregor, they won't do it, considering exactly. it would just be wrong. And, it like, he's he's expressed multiple times that he really wants to do it. Mm-hmm. And considering, like, the links they've gone to to get other actors back, like, they got the Mon Mothma actor from the prequels mm. and all of that to just make sure they had that continuity, I don't think they'll replace Obi-Wan a second time. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that, to be honest, in my in my opinion, I think this doesn't this movie doesn't even get to the stage if you don't have Ewan McGregor already 100% locked up. So, mm-hmm. because, I mean, it very well could be a prequel to The Phantom Menace and it could be early Obi-Wan. I, that's intriguing. That, to me, would be – could be really awesome. But, I mean, I, I just think that with, with, with someone like Ewan McGregor – already out there there's no there's not really he has some star power i mean he's not like a giant star but he's got star power everyone knows him as obi-wan kenobi now i mean it's no longer alec guinness which is so funny because alec guinness is like a treasured actor from you know before like my my grandparents generation you know and now Ewan mcgregor is now like he is the obi-wan kenobi so it's like you have him. He looks great i mean he's a he's a phenomenal actor he wants to come back i just don't I just don't think you make this movie unless you know you have you in 100%. It's been interesting for me because when I saw that um, that report from Hollywood Reporter as a fan, I was immediately really excited about it and was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm glad this rumor has been confirmed. It's like it's been in the back of my head for so long as a rumor that I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it was happening. Um, it's been a little frustrating and I don't think like – where all all of us are speaking as people who follow Star Wars news regularly. Like, I don't think the average movie-going audience is like, I'm so tired of hearing about the Obi-Wan movie because they haven't heard about it at all yet. But for me, it's (laughs) kind of like, I want some kind of resolution because I've been hearing about it as a rumor for so long. Um, One of my first thoughts was in that first initial moment where people were talking about it as if it had been confirmed, my first thought was, I want it to be set in the prequels, like capital P prequel era. Um, even though even McGregor's age doesn't quite match up, he could probably, I don't know, we can discuss whether he would still do like a Clone Wars era Obi-Wan. But um, I was like really excited for that because I do like prequel era content. And then I kind of read it again and realized like, no, it's, they're not saying prequel as in capital P. They're saying prequel as in, before the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan, which would also be interesting, but is that era that's like really heavily tread right now with the Marvel comics and stuff. Oh, yeah. So um, that was a little like, it's like I've had so many emotions about this movie and it hasn't even been confirmed yet. Well, 
if I may, and I and I'll be the first person to say I'm sick and tired of the New Hope era just being just like mind like crazy, and it's and it's very obnoxious to be quite honest. I'm so tired of this era. But that being said, I think if anything, the Kenobi novel, if anything, the the, the few comics that the one shots you've gotten in the main series about Obi Wan Kenobi from Luke's journal uh, or Obi Wan's uh, journal that Luke found. Um, that has given us, I think there's an emotional weight um, to Obi-Wan Kenobi during this time frame between uh, Sith and A New Hope. You could really do a powerful film on I mean, You got to remember, this guy failed. And he's got a lot on his shoulders, you know, that it's, it's resting on, on there. And he's got to cope with the fact that he let down someone he considered a brother. In his mind, not, I'm not saying it's what happened, but in his mind, he, you know, he let down his brother. Yeah. He let down in the Order. He let down himself. Now he's got to, you know, protect uh, his, you know, the, the one person he thinks is the, the salvation of the Jedi. Um, he's got, you know, to make a connection back to Qui-Gon. And I think there's so many, there's so many emotional, like, just, you know, really raw feelings you could do with that movie that, I mean, that I don't think we've ever seen before in a Star Wars movie. I think there's, you know, you could really get down to the essence of some, you know, of a character and have a very, you know, character driven, rather, rather it be story driven. This could be very character driven. And I would, I, I think there's enough cool things in Tatooine you could tell with Ben Kenobi and him, you know, going around the, the desert and in like Moss Eisley or Moss Espa. I mean, there's lots of cool things you could do and have it be Star Wars and not be a boring, you know, hour and 45 minute, hour, 50 minute film. So I don't know. I, I think that there's the, the emotional, state of obi-wan is such an intriguing thing that we just get just barely touched on in the uh rest of the canon uh, that we you know we read that i think that there's so much you could mine there sap what do you think about like where this movie should be set or even how uh likely you think these rumors are i think yeah there's a good chance that it's actually happening considering everything paul said and it seems like a pretty legit move for lucasfilm to make with movies coming out. Um, I I want it to be like, personally, I want it to be set in prequel era because I'm like, you vegan. Um, but I think it is more likely it'll be like Tatooine Kenobi, which I'm sort of like iffy on because as much as I love Obi-Wan, Tatooine is just not an exciting planet for me anymore just because of all of the stuff that I've read or watched or whatever that's been set there. And the Kenobi novel I love, but a story like that doesn't really make an enthralling movie for me. Um, so I don't know. I'm excited about it happening if it is indeed 100% happening. Um, I'm hoping that, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be excited to see Yoma McGregor on screen. It doesn't really matter what, <laughs> where he is as Obi-Wan or what's actually happening. It'll just be good to see that again. Absolutely. So speaking of Kenobis, oh, no. let's talk about Ray's family. Oh, <laughs> oh, that was I should have seen that coming and I didn't. I kid, I kid, I kid. But for real, <laughs> Entertainment Weekly did a whole bunch of The Last Jedi coverage recently that I'm sure everybody has seen already. But there were some hints about Ray's family or Ray's lineage included in there. And also quite a bit of stuff about Ray and Luke and Luke's kind of situation and his mental mind space that he's had yeah. after everything happening. What do you two think about that? Do you think 
we are going to get actual answers about Ray's family in this? Oh, I have I have feelings about Luke. My feelings, <laughs> my feelings about Ray's family it's sort of the same as they were before, which is that I think the whole story was handled like this whole story has been intentionally created as a mystery. It's not really a twist. It's a mystery. And those are two distinct things. And I think they need to play out slightly differently. Like, I think this movie will piece together who she is. It will not, there won't be a sudden, I am your father moment. There will be this dawning puzzle piece sort of moment. Besides that, my feelings are pretty much the same as they were, which is that I, I sort of want her to be a, a, a rando, as Paul says, and as Paul <laughs> dislikes. <laughs> um, but I have more feelings about Luke. So, like, if you guys have other things to say about Ray, I think that's the extent of my feelings about Ray from this article. I think we'll move on to Luke in a second. But first, Paul, what are your feelings on all of this? <laughs> well... I, for the sake of our time, it's going to have to be very condensed. And by condensed, I mean like the very quick, quick, quick version about this. Because I could talk about this a lot. I have always been a, a pro Ray being related to one of the big three. And over, over the last, I'd say like four or five months, it's kind of started dawning on me that I think that it's 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 a notion that I should just let go of because – all the signs are pointing to her not being related to anybody and being a rando. Now, a lot of there's a lot of people who love that. There's, there's, there's a lot of people who don't. And I, I, I either way, I want to hap- I want it to happen in this film. I hope it happens in this film. I don't want to wait wait around. And you know, I was telling a friend of this the other day. It's like I feel embarrassed that I care so much about Ray being related to like Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or, you know, Princess Leia. And I don't know why, but it, it but like, and I don't, I can't tell you why I'm so passionate about it. Cause I'd still, I tell you, I hate the fact that she could be a rando. I hate it. I think it's a terrible decision, but it's, it feels like they're going that way. And it's, it's just kind of, it bums me out. And I, I can't really tell you why I just, I, I guess I just love, the Skywalker name so much or in that, in that line that it, what, what it means that it's just weird to me that, you know, it's going to probably end with Kylo and just thinking well, about I, that bumps I think me out. The article talked a bit about, I think it was that one that talked a bit about how her family, like she chooses her family. Her family isn't necessarily where right. she's from. It's what she's going to do now. What if, I'm pretty sure we've discussed this on this podcast before yes, as well, yes. but what if she does become a Skywalker, not by blood, but by like adoption or whatever? Kind of like nobody doubts that Leia is truly an Organa. Like she's not. Absolutely. She's a Skywalker by blood, but she's an Organa. That's a good and, point. Um, yeah. Her parents are Bale and Breha, and nobody ever questions that. Nobody says that she's not truly their child or anything. I think, do you think it would be, like, would you be okay, like, on the inside, in your heart, if Ray ended up being a Skywalker in that kind of way? So, the, and I'm glad you phrased it that way, because, yes, to an extent. Now, the only reason why I say that is that, because I'm, you know, I may adopt kids one day myself with, with my wife, and, and, and it's not, and I'm all about adoption. I've known a lot of good friends of mine are, have been adopted and, and are, are amazed, and it's like, it, I'm not against that, but at any means. I guess the thing for me is, is that like, if, if you choose your family, it's like, 
you chose it's like it's a weird thing it's just it's hard for me to get around because she barely knows these people like in a force awakens it's like what a course of a couple of days and she's like you know it's like it feels it just feels forced to me it doesn't feel natural you know if it was a natural thing like she was with luke for i'm a, i hope for like a long time then yes you know if she's only with luke for like four months and she's like you know i'm the you know it puts up this claim it, it just seems disgenuine to me. Does that make any sense? Like, I feel yeah, like... Yeah, and I, I don't think if they, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to do that if they end up doing going in that direction. It'll be something more powerful than that. Like, from what it looks like, um, Luke is not exactly in a headspace where he wants to bring anyone into his life. Like, it sounds like he's very much secluded himself off because he's made mistakes and he's bearing a lot of weight about that and he doesn't want people to get close to him again, which seems to be something that... Ray is going to be pushing against Megan. I know you have feelings on Luke. What do you think yeah. about him right now? <laughs> that <laughs> what am I? What are you thinking about Luke right now? You can ask me that at any moment, and I would probably <laughs> have an answer. Um, well, that actually connects nicely to what I was going to say, which was that idea of Luke himself right now doesn't really have a, a emotional core. Uh, so this article, the one. Um, that's specifically about Ray and Luke that includes Daisy Ridley and Mark Hamill says, um, Luke wants to escape himself. And that's sort of a, that's like Anthony Bresnikan's. It's not a quote from the actors, but that was the description that we got. And then Luke himself is kind of lost and needs a hero, which just tore my heart out because I've a lot invested in Luke as hero, Luke as kind of an end point. Like he is, he becomes his completest person in Return of the Jedi and obviously goes on to do a lot of other things in the expanded universe, but Return of the Jedi has that like special place. And now in the new canon, we're seeing him as someone who has kind of been torn down and needs to be remade again, which. At first, in the um, when I first saw the trailer where he says the Jedi have to end, I was very much like, "This isn't my Luke. This isn't. I, I don't think this is a natural conclusion for him. This doesn't follow from the sort of mythic hero's journey we saw before." And now I, I feel a little bit better about it, I guess, partially because I'm just used to it. I can very quickly transition into like, "Well, that's what the canon is," so I can play with it and have my own ideas about it, but the canon itself is unchangeable. I'm, I'm not going to rage against the very idea of its existence. I kind of have to get used to it now. Partially it's because of that. And partially it's because of these quotes where it seems like Luke is going to kind of regain his belief in himself or his belief in Ray or something. And that um, it makes me believe, as we talked about at Celebration, that that moment of the Jedi must end is a dark moment for him, but it's not the end of his story. That's going to be, I, I hope, that's going to be the beginning of his story, and then Ray will kind of help get him out of it. And obviously, we see that Ray and Luke train together, so somehow they they have some kind of master-student relationship in which the teaching of the Jedi and the skill of the Jedi is passed on. So in a way, this made me feel better about the direction that Luke was going. It also just made me very sad because (laughs) Luke is sad. (laughs) And 
he, I mean, there's that bit in the article about Luke has lost, oh, I don't have it up in front of me right now, but how, like, Luke himself needs to be rescued, and I just, it's very emotional for me. I think, go ahead, go ahead, (laughs) <laughs> I think in like I, I agree with you on a lot of that and I also have my own different feelings because I really love stories that are post a hero becoming a hero and showing the consequences of that. Um, it's one of the types of stories I really enjoy. So I'm kind of keen to see that with Luke in particular because he was such a shining beacon of hope and empathy and heroicness. Um, and I think in a way it's also a powerful message to show a character like Luke who, like you said, Megan, he kind of became his complete person in Return of the Jedi. And he was still so young in that, though. He was a young kid. And I think it's kind of powerful to see that like your heroes and people that you admire and look up to can stumble and still fall into dark places like anybody else. But if if Rey does bring him out of this, and I, I hope she will because it would be a weird Star Wars movie if he just kept being like this. Um, then that's also another part of it being powerful is that with other people's support or maybe by reaching out, like you can still get back to that. Like heroes can fall and still be heroes in the end. And I'm hoping for that story, I think. Yeah. Mm. I, I think with this whole, the whole, the whole Luke and, you know, where he's at and Ray's, you know, longing for uh, a family to, to kind of, you know, be there for her. It's, 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 that's what kind of makes me think that like this is what they're setting up to be the rando angle with the adoption angle or being part of that family angle, which is again, how it's done is going to be very interesting. But how are Luke as, is at personally and emotionally is so intriguing to have Ray there. So it's like for both things that it, where Luke is and where Ray's, you know, destiny and lineage is at, it all is going to collide together. And it just, I just hope. I'm a little nervous about it because I really feel like they've built it up. Maybe unintentionally. I don't know. But that's what I feel like. And I feel like, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel like this movie is going to be very divisive. It's not like, you know, I feel like The Force Awakens, you know, not everyone loved it. And I'm I'm definitely in that camp now where I don't love the movie. I I love Star Wars. That's why I love it. But I think it's a very imperfect Star Wars film, to, to say the least. Um, that said, I still things are amazing about it, but I kind of feel the last Jedi is just going to be like, you know, because right now fandom seems very like at, at odds with each other to begin with. And I think this is just going to make it worse to be quite honest. Like I feel the revelations in this are just going to like, everyone's just going to blow up. You know, I just, I don't know. I just have this feeling. <laughs> so I hope not, but I can understand. Yeah, it, there's there's a lot of theories riding on this movie, and mm-hmm. it can go either way. It seems like a lot of people behind the scenes are really into it and really seem to love it. Yeah, totally. And it seems like Lucasfilm agrees with where Ryan's taking it, which is reassuring. And I really love Ryan's stuff, and I mainly aesthetically. Like I'm like this movie may suck, but at least it'll look real pretty, which mm. is kind of all I care about right now because <laughs> I don't have the energy to like put too much emotional weight into all these theories when everyone's arguing about them right now. Right. Uh but I yeah, I think I think at least it will unite us in the lead up to it, which will be nice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I do agree. I think it's going to be very divisive at least and because people are going into this with 
opinions in a way exactly. that they didn't for GFA because they didn't know the characters. Exactly. And now we know the characters and we can say, well, like this thing has to happen to Ray or else this isn't a good movie. There's going to be a lot of that. And like, I don't think anyone's exempt from that. Um, obviously like depending on what they do with Luke will be a big part of my experience of this movie. But yeah, I think that's a very um, prescient prediction. Well, and, and the thing is this is that, and that's why I'm trying to get, I'm trying my best to, to cope with the fact that she could be a rando because I don't want to go in and, and come out disappointed. I want to love this movie. Like I want people to understand I'm critical of things, but it's not because I want to be critical. I just am critical. I'm a critical person. <laughs> Whether I was, you know, I'm an argumentative person. Whether I'm on Twitter and, I mean, I'm, I try to be the same person online that I'm in, in real life. It's, this is who I am and I, I can't help it. And, you know, the thing is, I don't want to hate this movie. I don't want to dislike this movie. I want to go in and love this movie. So that's why if you see me trying to, you know, I'm, you know, I'm looking at all the information I'm trying my best to dissect it with an from an honest viewpoint, and I've got to find that place where if she is a rando, and if Luke and where Luke is at, like for Megan, if where Luke is at, and for, even though it's depressing, I have to come to terms with it because I want to love this movie. I don't want to hate this movie. I don't want to be. I don't want this movie to be like the you know, The Force Awakens, and I, I, I think about it and I get disappointed where. If I think about, you know, what I love that movie, The Death, and that has never stopped. So I just, I want it to be like that. I want it to just want to keep going back and revisiting it, which is what I want to do with Rogue One. So just understand, like, that's what, you know, I'm trying to do. I don't, just because I don't agree with it doesn't mean I can't, like, come to terms <laughs> with it. And that's what you see me at now on Twitter and on the podcast. This is me trying to cope with it just in case, because I want to love The Last Jedi. I think the fact you're trying so hard to reconcile that is important. I think it's something that is important for a lot of fans, especially leading up to the movie, because I know a lot, a lot of us have theories that we want to be true or things that we want to see and that we feel is the way the movie should go. And if it doesn't go that way, then it's bad kind of thing. Um, I don't particularly because I tend to go into most movies without expectations. My main moral in life is go in with no expectations and if it does well then it overachieves with basically everything I do um but I I, I want the fandom to be nice and to be happy with this movie so I I think even, no matter how legit your theory may be come to terms with the fact it may not happen and just accept that that's why fan fiction exists basically oh, <laughs> yeah oh boy we're gonna talk about that later because that's yes. like the first thing in my inferno squad review oh, yeah. fan fiction that's amazing yes yeah <laughs> okay so before that we also have another novel to talk about well the blurb of a novel the phasma novel blurb has come out and I read it and then probably forgot everything it said. Megan, do you remember what it was about? <laughs> yes. Um, well, the part that I'm going to forget is the names of the characters, but uh, we saw three new characters who are going to be um, uh, on exclusive posters. Looks like uh, there's a character who's a member of the First Order who's like a rival to Phasma, and he's trying a mysterious stormtrooper, the blurb says. He's trying to find out uh, information about Phasma that he can use for blackmail, essentially. So he's torturing a woman who knows something about Phasma's origins and she's a captured resistance spy and 
the story is going to unfold kind of through their interrogation. And then um, the last line of this says the knowledge may prove more, more than just dangerous once his adversary unleashes the full measure of her fury. So sounds like Phasma herself is going to come in like guns blazing at some point, but a lot of it is going to be these kind of mind games between um, Cardinal, who's this stormtrooper, this red guard guy, and the uh, resistance spy. It sounds like it's going to take a bit of a different approach to telling stories than other Star Wars novels. Yeah, I'm so uh, I'm very of two minds about this format. I think that it's a really intense concept, and if Delia Dawson really commits to that idea of making the whole thing an interrogation. I think that would be really cool. Like stylistically, that could be really cool. But at the same time, this is kind of like exposing or reminding me of my like five year old pet peeve of books with characters in the title who aren't actually in the book very much. <laughs> um, and I realized this is an old, old pet peeve. Cause like Kenobi is literally like the first book that I had this problem with and it's an old problem because shadow hunter like darth maul shadow hunter was that case too um dark rendezvous was the same case these it's not new um and like i'm not going to spend all the time going into like whatever reason why this started bothering me now but it does and i'm afraid that we're not actually going to see enough of phasma or that a lot of this is going to be kind of explained away as well like maybe the woman was right and maybe she wasn't. Her name has been revealed and I want to go back and see. Um, I'm pretty sure it was because they talked about it on the Del Rey Star Wars page when they revealed the posters, um, but I would have to really dig to find it. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to use her name right now, but the Resistance spy, she uh, might be an unreliable narrator. Like she's being interrogated. She obviously has a reason to lie or to delay an answer. So I'm a little afraid that some of this is going to be kind of questionably canon because it's from the point of view of characters who are have lots of reasons to obfuscate things. Uh, I want answers. You know, I want to get into Phasma's head and it doesn't sound like this is going to do that. On the other hand, it just sounds like a really cool story. It's it's described as a painstaking war of wills. I'm like, that's exciting. And Delia Dawson's writing has not really been my thing in the past, but I'm uh, looking forward to this regardless. And yeah, lots of feelings. <laughs> I just like the word blurb, by the way. <laughs> I think that's a it is a good word. It's a it's a great word. Um, I don't like reading chapters before the book comes out, so I avoid these at all costs because I just want to see it in context. You know, I don't read blurbs. But I like the word. I'm sorry, I read part of the blurb to you. Oh, I, I was kind of, I was kind of not paying attention. So you're good. How could you? Because I, I because yeah. I'm avoiding spoilers. I, I was still making sure. That's fair. That's fair. Just in case she wanted my input, I was ready to say I just like the word blurb. So well, you still don't know the one that one character's name because I don't know it. So you're safe on that one. See exactly. So I'm good. I mean, I got. I mean, I wasn't like not paying attention, but I was deliberately not trying to hear the words that Megan was saying. No, you understand, Megan. <laughs> it's not that I wasn't paying attention to you. It's just that when I looked at your mouth, no sound was coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm yeah, just. I, I'm, I'm, I yeah. think I'm with you, 
Megan, largely. Like, it kind of feels a little bit like before The Force Awakens came out and we got all these books, they were like, maybe they're about this thing. And then they kind of skirted the topic in some way, which is kind of fun. But also when it comes to Phasma, I'm just like, please just give us her story already. Everyone loves her so much. We just want to know her. Yeah, like that was one of the big complaints about her. Like, I don't know. Whenever I say I like Phasma, like... I've had people come into come into my mentions, as they say, and be like, she didn't do anything. Like, why do you like her so much? She didn't do anything. And I'm like, that's why I want to know what happened to her, because she's got a cool look. But her history is mysterious. And I want to know the mysterious history. And I think it'll look fit. Everyone loved him because he looked cool. Yeah, he still does look cool. Yeah. yeah. There we go. You can say the same thing about Boba Fett. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. With yeah, that. nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with looking cool. That's right. Yeah, so I'm using that to segue and talking about Lando because well, he looks cool. Yes, he does. He does. <laughs> yes. No, we had a Donald Glover interview, uh, the Hollywood Reporter had one with him, and he talked a little bit about Lando. Not really much. He talked a little bit about the the new director thing happening with the untitled still Han Solo movie and how he felt kind of like the baby in the divorce that <laughs> didn't really understand what was happening. He doesn't really talk that much about the character, except that he talked a bit to the original Lando Calrissian, Billy D. Williams, which is just, I love the idea of them chatting about Lando so much because they're both such cool people and Lando's such a cool character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find the part that I really liked about this interview, which was that Donald Glover had this real, like Lando meant a lot to him. And he had this whole interpretation of like how much he liked that character and how much it meant to him to play him. And then, Oh yeah, here it goes. Uh, he, he basically had like headcanon about Lando. Like I always felt that he came from this place and he grew up seeing, he says maybe he grew up seeing like, people with a lot of taste from afar and he wanted to like have that sense of style and sense of taste. And Billy D. Williams was just like, yeah, I don't know about all that. Just be charming. <laughs> and <laughs> it reminded me so much of those anecdotes about Harrison Ford where people would ask him, I don't remember which actor it was. It might've been Daisy Ridley. I don't, it was either Daisy think, Ridley or John Boyega. Oh no, I think it was John. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who was like, how, like, what do the buttons do on the Millennium Falcon? And Harrison Ford was just like, it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like D- Billy D. Williams did the same thing where like he didn't, he didn't have all this headcanon about it. Cause he was in it before anyone built this whole universe around it. I mean, there was a new hope obviously, but it wasn't what it is today. And so to him, it was like Lando was just, I acted you know, and whereas um, Donald Glover had all these like ideas, and I just thought that was amusing, mostly. Yeah, I I love that kind of stuff so much. It's so cute, like the young the young ones coming in and being like, "How does all this work?" And the old guys are just like, "I don't, I don't know. We just wung it, wet, winged it." That's not the fast tense of wing. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just winged it, and it's it's adorable, and it's so nice to see kind of like the passing of the torch, like literally with the actual actors themselves. I'm really excited to see him as Lando because he's he's someone I've admired for quite a while. Like I love his music, and I watch him in Community, and like I've seen him in other stuff as well. And he's just he's a cool dude. I'm sorry, we wung it. 
I'm anyway, never going to that one down. <laughs> Dab, you are wonderful. Paul, do you have any feelings about Lando? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a big Donald Glover fan. Um, I think he's great. Um, I, I, the little I have seen him in the community, I, I saw the, the, like the first season and a half. But I always, I always thought he was a great actor. I think he's perfect for the role. I love Billy Dee's uh, response to him. I was going to mention the same thing, Megan, when, uh, you know, of course, you know, the thing I love about you know, Donald Glover is that he's a real, he loves the art of whatever he's doing, whether it be music, whether it be television, or film, or, or whatever. Like, you can tell that he's in it. He wants to make a living at it, and he loves being successful, but you also can tell he loves do. he gets into it. Like, I love those artists out there. And he seems like that. He's a genuine, like he loves to make creative things. So I love that, you know, he takes everything kind of the same way. He takes it very seriously. Like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. And then, of course, Billy D is just so like old school and just kind of like, eh, just be charming. Like it just simplifies it, you know? And there's and that's <laughs> not, but the thing is, that's not a wrong way to do it because I think sometimes, you know, artists and being a creative person myself at, at one point, like it, you can't overthink this stuff. And you need things like like that to be reminded. I think that was really cool that Billy D. Williams kind of reminded him. It's like you know, Lando's secret is just to be charming. You, know, you have to be you have to be a very likable person where you just you know just everyone wants to be around him. You want to see more of him. And I don't think Donald Glover has a problem with that whatsoever. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he plays Lando. Um, the, you know, by the way, the few pictures we've seen of Ron Howard. Uh, taking pictures of like the set and you see like him, Donald Glover in the, um, looks like the Millennium Falcon and he's got like a yellow shirt on. Looks awesome. Like it looks so cool. I, I cannot wait for to see this movie. I, I, I can't wait. And mainly I'll be honest, mainly because of Donald Glover and Lando. Like that's the main reason yeah, why I want to see that's, it. That's so. the big thing going for me. I really want to see him as Lando in this movie. Like, yeah. Um, Alan Ehrenreich's adorable, and I I like his face, but I don't really care about. You already know I don't really care about Han that much, but I love Lando so oh, much, and I'm so excited for this. <laughs> I know you don't like Han; you hate his guts. I don't not like Han. I just don't care about him that much. He's oh. not my kind of character. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I get it. <laughs> all right, so we almost done with news, Lando, but first, Paul want to talk about Star Wars yes. comic yes. number thirty four. Yes. Okay. So. Well, okay, because, and I know, I know you guys don't keep up with the comics as much, um, and it's great. I wish I would have told you it was about Lando, because we could have probably had an amazing oh, segue. Great. I know, I should have told you, but I figured what But, his so, work is kind of, uh, just not I, very impressive know, for Star Wars. And Jason Aaron has been, I think, really consistent. Books, he hasn't uh, been, I don't think, great all the time, film, but he's been consistent. Um, consistently good, I think. So, that being said, this issue, uh, Star Wars 34, is basically a one-shot, meaning it's so kind of a one, you know, 32-page issue. No no real ties. In fact, I, I would suggest it's a great jumping-on point to get to know some of these characters featuring Lando and Sana Solo, or Staros. Is that her name, Staros? Um, the real name? Yeah. Yeah, so, and I've always liked Sana Staros, but, you know, in, in the in the jail, kind of the, the rebel jail uh, arc was really cool. We got to know there's a relationship between her and Aphra. Um, I also liked her when you know, she was first introduced. Um, she's a solid character. I really like the character, but I, I didn't love the character. I'll, I'll admit that. This issue, she's the, basically the main character, and it was amazing. It, it made me fall in love with Sonastaros. And to be honest, like, I wish we were getting an ongoing series of her compared to Afra. Afra, I'm, I'm having a hard time to connect to, but man, Sonastaros in this issue, basically what she does is 
She steals these these crate a bunch of crates of blasters from the Empire and then sells them to other people and then you know and basically uses all these you know claims that they stole from one person to another and keeps getting money from all these different gang organizations and pits them against each other saying I stole this from you and, and I kept one crate so that's my payment for getting it back from you here's your payment you know so she got like paid like five times for stealing the same blasters from everybody and she steals from Jabba <laughs> it was and, and I just want and even if knowing that you got to read the issue because it's paced beautifully it's great it's it's got great stuff and it really it shows you how awesome of a character Sana is. And I just, and you see Lando, I mean, Lando's just kind of window dressing at this point. Like, to be honest, like he's just kind of like there and he doesn't even need to be there, but it's just, it's still kind of cool. I mean, it's a great, really quick read. I highly recommend it for people. I I want more Sana after this. So yeah, I, I gotta say, if you, if you're waiting for a real quick Star Wars read, Go pick up that issue. It's it, You don't need to really know the character even. Just to know that she's got ties to some of the original uh, trilogy people. And she knows Lando. Go into it. Just read. It's a fun little read. So highly recommend issue 34. Which I believe is, is Jason Aaron's last issue. Which is a little bit of a bummer. So we'll see. At least it's cool. a good send off then. <laughs> I'm going to get that. That sounds really cool because I love Sana. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you're keeping us up to date on that particular comics run. Yeah, go go read that. Skip Screaming Citadel. I I wanted to like Screaming Citadel, but fortunately, it just wasn't meant to be. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. No, it does not. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our main topic, Inferno Squad. First up, we will talk a little bit about it without any major spoilers. So if you haven't read it yet and you want to hear a bit about the book, you can listen in safely. We will warn before we go into actual spoilers, so you can avoid those. But first of all, general impressions. Megan, did you like this book? I did. Um, I have a review up on Den of Geek where I, I talked about how I, I did generally like it. And I actually, I gave it a 3.5, I think. Um, I generally liked it more than I liked um, Dark Disciple in terms of the actual plot, which uh, it's sort of uh, apples and oranges because the plot for Dark Disciple was set for the Clone Wars. And then Christy Golden just you know, wrote the prose, whereas Inferno Squad was her story in conjunction with the the people at um, EA and and the people at Lucasfilm, but it was, she had a little more freedom, I think. And I generally liked what she did with it. Um, The thing that kind of made me happiest about it was that there were times that felt like fan fiction in a good way. And <laughs> I, I wrote that in my review and I was like expecting comments and I didn't get any, which surprised me. But uh, I kind of wanted to talk about that because like, I guess what I mean by that is that it had a real emphasis on interpersonal relationships. And then it just had like some tropes that like show up in fanfic a lot. And which is like, Characters that have to go undercover at a fancy party, so they have to wear fancy clothes <laughs> that they don't usually. Or characters that have to be pre- to pretend to be couples when they're not actually couples. Or, like, characters who haven't seen each other in a long time who have these, like, dramatic reunions. Um, like, all that stuff was super familiar to me and just made me, like, really happy to recognize it in this book. And besides that, it was a very morally ambiguous book. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but it really went into kind of why the Imperials do what they do and they, the way they fought felt so normal to them. But then to readers, like some people had a more visceral reaction to it and it was just like, Oh, they're disgusting. Like they're obviously super evil. 
and they didn't see it that way. So I thought it was written in a way that kind of allowed you to interpret them as you wanted to. I mean, it's undoubted that they're evil. They're in the empire. They're like toasting with Alderanian wine, which is just like peak (laughs) evil. Like it, it was so much. They are going up against the partisans though, which are also very morally gray. So like you don't see Aiden fighting Luke Skywalker, the like pinnacle of the light side of the force. Not yet, anyway. It looks like we might see that in the game. But we don't see that here. We see her fighting these people who are also willing to kill civilians and willing to chuck people out of moving speeders. And that makes it all a little more... Almost more comfortable, which, like, I do feel a little bit weird about. Because we... It almost makes Inferno Squad more palatable to the reader. Because they're not killing innocent, heartfelt naive rebels they're killing these rebels who kind of decided to scuff up their boots in the service of the cause so that's that's my feeling yeah I, I liked it it made me feel more attached to the characters and it definitely kicks off kind of a conversation that previous books have done but with different shading about what does it mean to be an imperial all right um, so you you've read the whole thing right Zach? yeah yeah i have and Paul, you've listened to it, right? I have listened to it, yeah. Okay, just so we know the formats. So what did you think? Go ahead, Seth. Okay. Um, Go ahead. I actually really liked it. It's the first time in a while I've read a Star Wars book and been like, felt really sucked into it and really loving it. Um, obviously not on the same level as Twilight Company for me because it's quite a different kind of story. It is very ambiguous. And I agree with you, Megan, that I think they put Inferno Squad up against the Partisans, partly to make the Inferno Squad and the Imperials seem... You can read them and not hate them most of the time. Yeah, yeah. You think, because they're up against others that aren't, like, yeah, entirely good people. Um, Yeah, and whereas, like, Twilight Company tried to make, or I think succeeded in making the Rebels really relatable because they are kind of bedraggled and they're, like, obsessed with hope to the point of... It becoming kind of ridiculous in the face of this very gritty war. The, the, that book kind of created moral ambiguity. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Because the war itself was ambiguous, whereas this book, people are ambiguous and the war in the background is not. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think they, they I think that Golden pulled it off pretty well. I was wondering how I was going to feel about this book because I knew that obviously Inferno Squad wasn't going to turn to the side of the rebels because that would just kind of destroy the point of their team and also leading up to Battlefront 2 kind of thing. But I wasn't sure how they were going to be portrayed to make them, you know, heroic characters in the book as the main characters. But I think it was balanced pretty well. There were times that I read something and I was all like, 
mm, I don't know how I feel about that. But that was just kind of me bringing in real world politics into Star Wars, which, you know, is kind of hard not to do when it's Star Wars and it's literally based off of real world politics a lot of the time. But I, I really liked some of the main characters. I found the writing to be really engrossing. Like it's relatively simplistic in golden style, but she's really good at writing like fast paced stuff that is just easy to read, um, which I really enjoy about her stuff. And I, I like that it didn't feel empty in the way that a lot of recent Star Wars books have felt to me. And I don't know why they entirely have that feeling. It just feels like the world, the characters exist and the story exists, but the world around them doesn't. And this book didn't have that problem as much. I'm not, quite sure why but it felt fully fleshed as much as it could have hmm hmm well <laughs> here, here's the thing I, I listened to it and it was done by the uh narr- or done by the, the voice actress who does the voice of the actual character in, in the upcoming video game um i'm gonna nice. butcher her name uh janina gavankar i think i i anyway yeah. um close enough so sorry um, janina Janina, yeah, Janina. Do you ever listen to this? <laughs> yeah, she she doesn't. She won't. But if, if she does, I apologize. And you defend. And she did a fantastic job. And I, I'm not just saying that. She did a good job. And, I, and it came across like she was having fun in 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 the, in the, in the booth. I just I kind of got that impression that you could tell she was really like having a great time with this. I I just kind of I came across to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I think this book is 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 was okay. Um, I was. To, I don't know about you guys. Were you misled by at all with this? Because when I, when I first heard about I first heard about it, and, and you see the video game and wh- who they are, they go in. They're a black ops team of badasses, essentially, and they're like you know they're kicking ass everywhere. And you see the cover of the book with like a burning flag. You're like, oh my gosh! And you're like, they're gonna go up against the partisans. Like, oh man, this is gonna be a knockdown, you know, knockout dragout fight of two military operations going to be explosions and it's actually <laughs> not that at all and i mean there were some explosions uh, yeah <laughs> uh, now the pacing was not what i expected it to be i expected it to like travel around more and to have more like set piece battles like twilight company did yeah and it, yeah. I, I certainly agree that it didn't have that i didn't mind but it did surprise me a little well i just think it was a little misleading to be honest and I know they got to sell books and they got to make a very, a very, you know, enticing cover where it's like, yes, this is going to, you know, I didn't really feel like the way, the way the game set it up to be in the trailers. I didn't think the way Lucasfilm kind of talked about it. Again, this is a synopsis. I'm like, it sounds amazing. And then I read it. It's like, it's not bad. It's just not what I was expecting. I was, I was expecting like two military or like small group military outlets, like going at it and like blowing crap up. Instead, it was they they basically they were spies. And granted, that being said, I don't think it was a bad book. It just wasn't what I was expecting. So it was just a little jarring. I'm like, I mean, like this isn't going to be what I think it's going to be, is it? You know, I love the first chapter. I, th- I thought the first chapter was amazing. I was like, the first chapter is really good. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was hooked. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to do this. Let's do this. Could be an action packed adventure, and pretty much. It, not action-packed at all. So, um, I mean, but, it, but there's still a really cool moment. So, I don't know. There's just a lot of things about the book that I think that are good. I don't think it's an amazing book. I, I think it's, if you want to have essential reading for Star Wars, I don't think this is it. Hmm. That's so- I wouldn't 
say it is either, but I wouldn't discount it. <laughs> That's, you mentioned the first chapter, and I was just flipping through, and the first chapter where she's at the Death Star, like, is really cool. Um, one of the sort of problems I did have with this was the exposition at the beginning was a little... It was blatantly exposition, like it was the obviously the admiral introducing the characters, and that was a little slow for me. But then they cohered really quickly afterwards, so I didn't really mind. But um, in terms of uh, whether whether or not it was essential, that's a really interesting discussion, and that's like something I've been thinking about recently. About like I love Twilight Company, obviously I talk about it ad nauseum at this point. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's a great place for people to start because oh, I is, would not say it is. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's so attached to the game. It's so different from other Star Wars books, and this one also simply because it's attached to the game is kind of its own little thing. Like Saf, you said, it feels like it's got a big world. It does. It's obviously connected to the partisans, but it. I I also think I'd agree that as much as I like it and as much as I think the writing is solid, I wouldn't say it's essential just because these characters are so they're specifically made for the game. And if you're not going to play the game, you're going to they're a little bit adrift. You're not going to get their entire story. Yeah, I'd say so. I think I didn't really feel misled by it or it didn't not do what I expected. I think partly because I hadn't read much about what it was going to do because I kind of wanted to be surprised. But also because I've been reading Race Squadron recently, which is the X-Wing books, and the Race Squadron is very similar to Inferno Squad in the way that they tend to do Black Ops stuff and like spy more than anything else, really. And so I think it kind of fell into that vein very quickly for me that it kind of just felt normal. Uh, but I can totally understand how you could go into this expecting something way more like Twilight Company and not delivering on that. Yeah, I, I think that it was it was it was so different and it was a little bit jarring for me. And I kept waiting for it to change. And once I realized it wasn't going to change, I did. I still accepted it. And I don't think it was bad. You know, like there is a lot of cool moments in there. And, you know, obviously characters we'll, we'll talk about. So like that was definitely worth, you know, reading the book. But it just was it just was interesting what Christy and maybe Christy had so much freedom that that's what she wanted to do. And they let her do it because like, eh, oh, well, well just, it's just what it is. So that's if that's the case, that's really cool, too. I mean, it just wasn't what I wanted, you know, especially even some of the partisans, you know, to be honest. I kept want, thinking one of the two tube characters were going to be in it. And they're not. <laughs> they all did. They blew up. Well, no, no. They escaped, though. Did they? Did so, the two tubes? So, the only yeah. reason the, the, U, the U-Wing escaped is because it went into hyperspace. Did the partisans actually escape? That's a good point. I didn't think about that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I thought maybe some of them did. So. No, that's fair. I was expecting there to be actual, like, other partisans that we'd possibly see in the background of Rogue One. But yeah. they seem pretty intent on them being dead in this, at least. Whether or not yeah. they actually are. They, and I mean, the Imperials believe that, at least. Instead, we got um, Stana? Stan, no, now I'm getting him confused with Sansa Solo. Oh, um, oh, oh what's it? yeah, the guy um, from Rebel Rising. Yeah, we got him, and we got another cameo, which is a spoiler. <laughs> so there's those. Oh, is he from Rebel Rising? Staven, yeah, Staven yeah. is from Rebel Rising. Oh, uh, he read like a character that had been in something else, but I didn't recognize him, so that makes sense. He was the one um, who like fist fights Jin at one point. I honestly haven't read Rebel Rising yet. I'm sorry, I will. But um, real quickly, Paul, uh, when you said that 
this it's not bad but wasn't what you're expecting i i think i had the same thing with the ahsoka book so i totally understand where you're at with that Mm. yeah Yeah, yeah. um yeah so we will quickly we start talking about characters let's briefly touch on those before going to spoilers we have the main character aiden versio who is amazing i love her but she's the the character that we've seen in like the battlefront footage she's the main character's book she is the daughter of admiral what is his name Garrick Versio. Garrick Versio. Yeah. I thought it was Garrick, but I wasn't <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Who is an Imperial Admiral, <laughs> his, obviously. His first name is Admiral. Yeah. <laughs> Admiral, Admiral. Admiral. Admiral Versio. <laughs> they named him hoping he'd get that rank. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he seems like a very typical, hardworking, loving the Empire kind of character, and Aiden was raised by him. So she has been raised to be the very best she could possibly be. And a lot of the story is her trying to live up to her dad's dream of her. Basically, she wants her dad's pride somewhat. Um, we've seen a lot of father stories in Star Wars. It's kind of a given now. What did you two think of the relationship between these two characters and of these two characters in general? Uh, I had a lot of feelings about it. Um, I thought it was written well. There, there was uh, moments where you could see how basically psychologically abusive Garrick was and how he made sure whether intentionally or not that he never expressed approval. He always, his love was very conditional. It was always like, you will uh, do this thing or else you're not the pride of the family anymore. And the way I didn't thought about him, she obviously, I mean, to me, she didn't quite understand the depths of the manipulation that he was doing. And that was a lot of why she was the way she was, because she really, a lot of her uh, loyalty to the Empire was actually loyalty to him. Excuse me, loyalty to him. She just didn't really know that. And that was, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, you know, I, I thought their, the relationship, which was purposely made me feel uneasy a, a lot of times, you know, and just kind of the fact that like, you know, she was so driven to impress him. And even though, like, he kind of sent her in to, like, just a really brutal mission, and I don't know, it, it just, it was a, it, obviously they kind of built that up in, in the trailer, in, in the Battlefront 2 trailer, and they kind of, in the story mode, and they kind of showed that, you know, she's talking to him, and he obviously survives to, to battle for Endor, so it was interesting to get an idea, but like, he seemed like this a very stern father, obviously at the very end, we can talk about, he definitely comes across even more vile you know, and just cold. And it, it's, a, it's a bummer, you know, because, you know, I think there's been a definite attempt to humanize as many Imperials as possible. But there's also things like this that, like, make the Imperials as cold and as ruthless as possible. So it was just one of those things where you forget, oh, yeah, Imperials, you know, some Imperials have families. You know, not all of them do, but a lot of them do. And you forget that, like, you know, they raise their children to love the Empire. It's just interesting. So um, there's definitely a lot of talk of children in this book in some ways. Yes. Um, I think that's one of the themes of the book is even like children being raised to fit the ideologies of their parents. And I think he, I agree with you, like on him being vile and kind of showing the colder part of the empire. Cause a lot of this book is kind of about humanizing Inferno squad so that you can empathize with the main characters of the book somewhat. But when you've got them with Admiral Versio as their commanding officer, and also as Aiden's father, and he is this awful, cold, manipulative person, you kind of, it, it pulls you back a bit from being like, this team is doing what's right, because you're like, no, they're just following his orders, and he is the worst. So we also have 
Gideon Hask, who is Aiden's best friend, I guess. He he calls her that in one of the first two chapters. And I was like, that's adorable. This is so cute. But we don't actually get a lot of their relationship throughout the books. But Gideon is one of the other main characters. And I liked him in like the first half of the book. And then he kind of just drifts off near the end, I guess. I say most of them kind of drift yeah. off at the end. <laughs> That was definitely one of the weaknesses of the format was that because the characters could not, they were undercover. So they couldn't really acknowledge that they knew each other even, which did make the second half of the book a lot less satisfying from like that found family friendship point of view. Yeah, which I think was something that made it less high on my list of Star Wars favorite books kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because I love I love the found family and I really liked the camaraderie they had in the earlier parts of the book. So it was kind of sad to see them not really drift apart like really but because of the way the book was formatted they couldn't really interact that much and Gideon in particular had less to do than a lot of the other characters later on he seemed like a really cool character and I really wanted to see his relationship with Aiden because the idea of like boy and girl best friend in Star Wars seemed really cool because we don't really see that usually it's just romance or something and the idea of Imperial young Imperials having like those friendships or at least feeling them personally, even if they don't ever admit it, I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. I really like that part, especially in the beginning when he, cause um, he talks about how she does better than him in a lot of the tests, like the starfighter, the piloting tests and stuff. And he's a little, he feels a little threatened by that. Like he wants to be the best also, but at the same time, he kind of recognizes like at the same time, she's my friend and I don't want to like unseat her and I don't want to not be proud of her. And like, I'm really loyal to her. And I thought that was something that we don't see very often was like a guy who doesn't resent a girl for being good at stuff. And that itself was really important. And that does kind of get lost in the shuffle later on. That dynamic just sort of fades away because the characters aren't together all the time. But I do, um, I'm looking forward to what happens with them in the game. And I'm definitely like already emotionally attached to them. So I'll be looking out for that relationship in the campaign. Well, yep. do you have any thoughts on Gideon? You know, not really. Cause like I said, like he just kind of, he just wasn't really that important of a character. I mean, it's like I said, like the, I feel like the Sen and Aiden were the main characters. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. And I mean, even Del managed to get Del Miko, mm-hmm. the other, the other, one of the teams seemed to get a bit more just because I guess he kind of had the sense of humor. So he was kind of lighthearted one sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like that weird little side story thing, <laughs> which was kind of weird. But um, yeah, there was also Del Mico and St. Mar- Marana, who are the other two Inferno Squad characters. And yeah, they kind of seemed to get more time than Gideon did a lot. I, I liked them both a lot. I got really attached to most of these characters, despite them being terrible people all the time. Uh, did you two like them? I, I was less interested in Del Mico. His story didn't make too much of an impression on me, partially because it, he was sort of the comic relief. I mean, at the end it did, because the end is like, suddenly your heart is on the floor. But um, I, Sane Marana was interesting, because like, I agree she had a very like fleshed out story and she had like one of the bigger arcs. Um, I'm usually kind of eye-rolly at the idea of the, like, romance for spy purposes. Like, she's basically manipulating this person. But I didn't I didn't hate it, and that's a high compliment for me, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that it was, it was 
fine. You know, it was kind of sweet. Actually, speaking of that, let's let's go into spoiler stuff so we can talk about that a little bit more, I think. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I thought, it, you know, I'll be the first person to admit that I don't really like romance in any of my stuff, to be honest. But I thought this actually worked. And it, it, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm surprised as anyone else is to admit that. So for me, the whole Sen thing of her, you know, pr- pretending to, you know, falling, you know, for someone that, for fake reasons. And then all of a sudden those, those feelings become real. Um, I don't know. The way, the way I felt like it was written well enough to where, I believed her transition because well, you know, I'm not sure they even became fully real there. Well, the thing is, I that's what I thought, and I, I think that there was, you know, especially at the end, there was there's 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 so much regret there that it leads it leads me to believe that she did. Yeah, that's, that's okay. The end, yeah, okay, yeah. So right. with her, like she has that I've forgotten his name already. <laughs> Oh, what I was his name? I don't know his name. The, I, I literally just finished the book an hour ago. As uh, he's the same species from that episode where Saj Ventress fights everyone on the train. Oh, oh, really? oh okay. Yep, oh. that's that species. Ah, oh, I was wondering if they appeared before. Um, yeah, but when when he dies and like he because of her, it's her fault basically. A lot of it, I think, comes from her having that I I did it memory because. She's got regret about him dying because she knows it's her fault and because she kind of tricked everyone. I don't know if she ever was actually reciprocated his feelings, but because she couldn't, like, she would forever remember that vividly. Like, she would never be able to let it go, no matter what kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that was painful. And I thought that conversation between her and Aiden, where she points that out, that she can't ever let go of that trauma, was really powerful because you kind of get used to bad things happening to people in Star Wars and it just eventually kind of going away. But for her, it never would have. Well, and that's my, that's my kind of thing. I think if she was really a true Imperial, she would have thought, Oh no, it's no big deal. So that's what leads me to think that she has feelings for him because I think most of everyone in the team, if it was them would do the same, but would have not reacted the way she did. That's what leads me. The fact that she is so like, upset that she has to live with us the rest of her life because of her memory, you know, or her great memory. Um, well, she is young. She's only 20. Like, I mean, I think she is a true Imperial, but she hadn't ever been in actual combat before. She hadn't ever seen someone die, let alone it be her fault. And whether or not she actually cared for him as, like, as romantic, she definitely he was a person like he was another person he was young he was younger than her he had a whole family and he didn't necessarily have to die like that and i think she was mad as an imperial that the partisans were so extremist that that would even happen that somebody who was so young and who cared so much about her even that he would just believe that the best thing to do would be to go and die himself and that it was her fault that that happened to begin with I but think it, all right. kind of goes together with that. But remember, like, that's the thing. If she didn't care about him in any way, then she wouldn't. Well, not like she didn't care about him in any way, but I don't think it was romantic. Like, I don't think she ever felt those feelings back, but I think she definitely empathized with him at least. Well, I just, I just, I guess for me, if you're going to, if the whole point of the story of like your role was to fall, you know, to pretend you're in love with someone. And then, so, and like, at least again, like, cause I forgot it's been a while since I finished the book. I forgot because Sen dies, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So she, it's sort of like, yeah, go ahead. She, because doesn't she portray the, again, I'm, I'm just, it's, it's been a while since I finished this. I remember Sen getting upset and then I, I just remember her like just 
almost like become a liability. I just don't think that that becomes a um, that becomes a what's the word I'm looking for? I just don't think she if she didn't care that much, then she would have. She she wouldn't she'd just be like whatever. I think the fact that she was pretending to those feelings to be there, it, I think Chrissy Golden insinuated the fact to me that there was feelings there that they had developed over time, and that's I don't know from from her point of view character like her point of view chapters. I didn't entirely get the impression of that. I think I think that like you see her, she's she's kind of soft. Like she she has a heart. She cares about people somewhat, and. Because she she makes that choice to delay the timer so that the kids can escape because that one kid offers her chocolate and is really nice to her and she's like and she learns that he has a brother and she's like I don't want him her to go not go back to her brother and share chocolate with him kind of thing like she she I think realizes that she empathizes with people and that she does care even if she is imperial and I'm not like maybe she did have some romantic feelings for him I from like the way I read it I didn't feel like that I think she just realized that people have families and she tore that family apart. And so she was kind of trying to fill that hole in a way without realizing that she was doing that. Yeah. I, I just, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to get that when the whole purpose of her, her mission was to, to fake fall in love with this guy. And then all of a sudden she cares about him when he basically sacrifices himself for her. So for me, it's like, well, it wasn't really for her. He could have not, he could have not done that. He he didn't do it for her. He did it for the cause. If he did it for her, he would have not gone. In. But he did. He it, but he did it for like she asked. But he, yeah, but that's the thing is he did it. He did it for to me. I have always thought that she was in danger in in that in that moment, and that's what he was thinking. Even though she knew she wasn't. She had no, no, he wasn't. He was. She set a bomb to go off to kill a bunch of children and two imperial politicians. And she decided that she didn't want to kill the children. And so she delayed the timer by 10 minutes. And when they left, he was like, oh, it must have been a dud bomb because it should have exploded by right, now. Yeah, He's exactly. like, yeah. it's fine, we should go. And he was like, no, we have to finish this mission. I have to, we have to kill these people. And so he ran back to actively go kill the children and the Imperial politicians. Uh, that's right, that's right. So ever- it wasn't to do with her. It was entirely to do with the course. Okay, so, and that's where I, I do, I remember, I remember that, the, that there was a dud bomb but I thought that she was gonna like, yeah, that's right. She, but at the same time, it's like, yeah. All right, I'll give you that. <laughs> but yeah, this, okay, All but right. but I, I still think the fact that she, he, the fact that he went and did that and sacrificed himself to do all those things makes it makes her go like, crap. Like this guy is willing to give everything for you know for me and the cause. And I don't know. I just, I just, I still get that. Impression. I think that just kind of fuels her hatred for the cause, even. <laughs> but I mean, it's hard to know considering she dies, and so we yes. don't really get resolution on a lot of that because she's dead. Um, <laughs> I think I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not happy about the fact that she died. Like I kind of knew it was coming because I was like, why is there no fourth lady in the game? And everyone exactly. was like, there's one in the book. And I was like, okay, so she's gonna die in the book. All right. So I kind of saw it coming from the start. Um, and I, why did she? Have to, why? Like she was the young. <laughs> smart girl and then it's like oh she was just too empathetic too damn caring so she had to die kind of thing and it, it kind of made me mad and kind of grumble as i finished the book after there honestly i i feel like this definitely made me grumble too because obviously i've been noticing the trend of killing off female characters at the end of the book um yeah. but i feel Christy like this is two for two now <laughs> Yeah, but that's the thing, like, if I'm being generous, which, if I'm being generous, Christy Golden has been put in a hard spot twice, because yeah. Dark Disciple was not her script, and there was no fourth character in the game. 
So she might, I have no idea what happened behind the scenes. I have no information about it. I just think that either she was given this information, either she was told we want there to be a fourth character who is a woman and who dies, or she was given some combination of that information, or she said, I want to make another character. I want to make them a lady. And then ended up with the awkward situation of, yeah, but that character is not in the game. So either way, that's like, kind of an inevitability and she could have made that character a man if, if that was the possibility which again i don't know if it was but if would it have been any better if that character was a man or would it have been worse or the fact that the love story is baked into it leads me to think that that character wasn't created initially as a man but i don't know um so i definitely like this definitely like made me feel like we this a very chalice is still important like chalice is still like <laughs> <laughs> the the patron saint of not dying at the end but um i feel like christy golden was between a rock and a hard place and the thing that she did was she made it sane's choice sane like walked yeah. into that situation fully aware of what was happening it was uh, the culmination of her arc not anybody else's and christy golden it could have been worse basically still not my ideal ending but it could have been worse yeah, I agree with that much. And yeah, that that's like the one big thing. Okay, this there's two big things I have issues with, and they both involve women dying. The other one is Aiden's mother dying at the end, which is just so cruel yeah, and also oh, so pointless. I forgot that was so needless. And like right at the end, she's like, "Oh, tell me, like, let, can I talk to mom now?" And he's like, "Oh, by the way, she died." <laughs> I'm just like, for God's sake, like you could have just why? What was the point of this? Why do mothers keep dying in Star Wars? It's so frustrating to me as a motherless child that this that like it, there's no real positive mother child relationships because the mothers just keep damn dying um and it just felt kind of weird for this book because it just didn't need to happen it could have just not happened and the book would have been totally fine um yeah. and i don't know if that was christy gone's choice or it like something to get the mother out of the picture for battlefront or whatever but i still just i hate it it and saying are like the two things that I don't like about this book as much as I liked the book. Those are my two big grievances. It, it did create that moment where uh, Admiral Percio has to say that he told the mother that he was proud of Aiden. Is that right? He or no? He yeah. told her that she wasn't because she was kept in the dark the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah. She was intentionally made to think that Aiden had defected. And she was like, oh, you're a, you are a traitor to the empire. You're, you know, you're not my daughter. Essentially, there was this like really heart wrenching scene where she says that and Aiden has to stay undercover. But um, at the end, Garrick decides to tell her that it was all a plan and it was all in the service of the empire. And I thought that was an interesting moment for Garrick, but it was still using the death of a lady to humanize a, I think, objectively evil man, which kind of doesn't sit well with me yeah it doesn't when that happened i was just like mm, i see what you did there and i don't like it there were other ways to i think humanize him if he even had to be humanized in some way and that didn't have to be it and i'm still just like i'm forever going to be bitter about this one because she seemed like such a cool lady that got nothing in the in the book really and i didn't always thought about her dad not her mum. and like in typical star wars fashion everyone knows there's a long running bitterness that i have but this book just contributed to it well, and just for it's it's a bummer because I, I'm with you, Saf. But at the same time, 
what her mom represents also is what is kind of the empire doesn't want either. She's an artist. Obviously, the empire doesn't encourage artistic freedom, and that's kind of at least that's what the, the the very loose kind of feeling that you get from the empire. So it's interesting that because she represents this kind of like you know creative artistic freedom that she's the dying character, and that it's like almost symbolic, I guess, that she dies because like. It's like, you know, the Empire is this faceless organization. And the one thing, even though she believes in this faceless organization, the create her creativity is dying because of it. And therefore she dies. I know it's not, I'm being one thing and way too deep into this, but that's kind of like what I got out of it. And, and I think that Aiden kind of identifies with her and her creativity and what, and that she has that brain. And that's what kind of makes her a perfect operative for, um, Inferno Squadron. And because she's because of that creative side of her and she has like her dad's discipline. So therefore she's able to like harness both gifts from her parents and become this ultimate, you know, black ops soldier. You know, I agree with you that the mothers are not featured enough in star Wars that this is the way it kind of, I would kind of looked at it was a little bit differently that I felt like her death was more symbolic of what the empire was more than just like, a throwaway, you know, this is a throwaway mother character that we don't care about. That, in fact, it drove is like the one emotional connection that Iden had to anything, basically. You know, not even her father. Maybe Gideon's the only one besides that, but I feel like her mom was the only one that she really truly identified with. So I don't know. It's one of those things where I, you know, the fact that, you know, she had to die thinking that Aiden was a traitor and all that. And she never got to talk to her and explain to her and, and it, it enhanced the vileness of her father and that abusive nature, psychological nature that he liked to have control of. And me, again, when I, when I listened to the book, I, I really thought that like she had such a strong connection to her mother that her, you know, he said, you know, you, you cry like your mother or something like that. I think he had said and, you know, trying to, like, drive that out of her. Like, you have too much of your mother in you, so I have to drive it out of you. So that's almost a way why he, you know, did not want her to even see her on her deathbed. Because he doesn't want to have that connection. He wants to kill that connection. So I think for me, it was, if it was just, like, a throwaway thing, like, it was just a one-time thing. And she was just, like, a, a standard Imperial, like, how dare you betray us? And then that was it. Then I would agree with you that they wasted an opportunity. But I feel with this is it's a lot different. I feel like it was it was more emotional weight behind it than the other in the other uh, character. Hmm. I would argue that that's the same kind of emotional weight though. But I do like it was interesting that she was an artist. I was gonna flip through the propaganda book to see if there was any mention of her, and I didn't do it. And now this reminds me, and I should go back and do that. I can appreciate. Their point of view, Paul. I don't entirely agree, but I appreciate that you've got it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, okay. So other other spoiler thing. The mentor, which is one of the other characters, one of the kind of not leader of the partisans, but up there, uh, he gets revealed to be the character Lux Bonteri from the Clone Wars, which I expected early on. <laughs> I, I mean suspected early on when they started being like, he's a speaker character and he knows so and I was like, Lux. It has to be Lux. Um, yeah. What did what did you think about that reveal? <laughs> I mean, I I saw it coming instantly. It was uh, I don't remember the exact moment, but like after the first long conversation where he kind of intimates that he was involved with Saul like from way back, I went, okay, well, who's a character that's was involved with Saul way back and <laughs> was left over, was like was left alive and would have a sort of um 
wistful feeling about that whole era? And the answer is Lux. So, but I'm incredibly bored by Lux. So that was pretty much uh, where my feelings ended. I was just like, uh, do we really have to bring back this guy? He was kind of a creep to Ahsoka and had no personality <laughs> otherwise. Um, I'm Ouch. done with him. So wow, that's all. Well, I mean, he was, right? He was a little bit, yeah. I mean, he was a teenage boy, so he was kind of yeah, acting yeah. In, in part with that. But I yeah, mean, both we see enough teenage boys in real life. <laughs> I mean, I'm just hating on Lux <laughs> for being young. I had to go to high young. school with him. Man, well, I, went to high, I, went, I was a high school boy at one point, you know? I mean, we can only do so much. We're just, you know, hormo- <laughs> hormones are raging, man. Um, you know, I, I the Lux Ponteri thing, it was funny. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where, obviously, when, once you started realizing that he said he knew um, Saw and uh, Stila, and you're like, okay... I get it. It's Lux. You know, just tell me. It would have been nicer to know sooner just to, so you can get more. I don't know. It meat. was okay. It was a weird thing to drag out as a big mystery yes. because a lot of people reading this book would not have seen the Clone Wars and they would not understand why. <laughs> like, mm. I really want to know how this reveal feels because at the end, it's like, he's Lex Bonteri, a senator of blah, 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 of Onderon. And I'm just like, I know that. And this is exciting for me because I like the Clone Wars. But to any normal Star Wars fan, like, would this mean anything? Would this reveal have led up to just something exactly. that was like, okay, I he's a citizen. Felt, I almost felt that I would have liked it better if I hadn't known who Lux was. And, like, not, I realize that that sounds like this just because I don't like Lux. And, like, <laughs> that's not what I mean. Um, and, like, I apologize if I cast aspersions upon teenage boys with my comments. But, like, I, uh, I liked the mentor as a character. I felt that he had, like, he had a little bit of depth to him. He had that like Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of trope, but with this added, like the sort of moral grayness of the partisans where he's like trying to be a moral center for them, but they, none of them had a moral center. So it was like off center and moral off center. Um, he, uh, I, I almost feel like it would have been more interesting if I'd gotten to know him as a character and then been like, oh, he's a senator, like, oh, he was involved with the Clone Wars, like, oh, that explains him. Like, that would have been satisfying as a backstory, even if I didn't have knowledge of that character in advance. Mm, That makes sense. I wonder if that's how other people who don't know about the Clone Wars got it. It's it's impossible to know how people without knowledge of things feel about things. Like, when I watch Rogue One, I'm so excited about Saw because he's Saw Guerrero. And then, like, my friends are just like, who is this random, who is Forrest Whitaker in this movie? Like, why is he here? What is he doing? And I'm just, like, crying in the background. <laughs> I, mean, t- I, I definitely, I'd be interested to hear what people who haven't seen The Clone Wars uh, thought about this. I think that he shouldn't have been, like, dragged out that long. I think as soon as, as soon as, he, and I, don't remember, I can't tell you when he revealed that he knew Saw and Stila. But as soon as the, the mentor revealed that, they should have revealed who he was right away and really played. I think I think that was a missed opportunity. Personally, they could have really done some cool things with it. To, you know, to admit like we got a senator and blah 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 blah, and then you know. But really, they don't really have. They don't really. Well, do I think with they're it. they're the partisans. They don't really care about politics. So they only cared about him for his connections to what he knew. Well, right. But I guess I don't know. I just to me, it's like I just feel like they could have done some cool things with the character. By calling him Lux, yeah. and I don't know, and like, well, I think, yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with that, but I also kind of agree with Megan that like him being a, a, 
a character being the mentor in his own right was kind of cool because if we'd known he was Lux earlier on, it's possible people who do know him might have just seen him as Lux instead of getting to know him as this mentor character, which I kind of enjoyed because I have middling feelings on Lux. I don't not like him. I don't really care about him. I love him because I love him because of his proxy to Steela and I love Steela. So the fact that he was there and Steela got more mentions because of his existence, I was like, yeah, <laughs> more Steela. I was really glad she was mentioned as often as she was in this. Well, not like yeah. often, but there, there were several times, I think. Mentioned it all, really. Like, I kind of assume that she gets forgotten sometimes and then she gets brought up every now and then. And I'm like, yes, there she is. Because I love Steela so much. And I still am so mad about her death. <laughs> like, I'm just like, Steel should have died. Steel, Steel, Steel. Saw should have died and Steel should have lived and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I guess to get the character we have now with, with Saw, it makes sense that Steel died. But I doubt they had that foresight back then. Well, they, they, but, yeah, they did. They she did. mentioned. Because remember, because Saw was a character created by George Lucas, and he was supposed to be part of the Star Wars Underworld show. So that's uh, yeah, he was yeah. Per, yeah. So he was actually he was meant to be later on, and that's why they that's why they included him into the Rogue One is because he had those ties already to George slash he already had kind of like a future form. So when they were writing the character, they said Saw fits his purpose. So that he was okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's why. Okay, I still hate that a girl died to get him to that point, and his. The girl was a really awesome character. I mean, in an ideal world, Steeler would have lived. In an ideal Star Wars written by me, Steeler would have lived, and her and Ahsoka would have become <laughs> girlfriends. But we are not living in that world. So, <laughs> um, oh, wow. I yeah, I, I liked him for that point. And I can see, like, yeah, where you're coming from with that, Paul. And I think, yeah, they could have done some very interesting things using Lux Bonteri in that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I know if they just kept saying Lux in that, I would have just kept picturing his little face from the Clone Wars and being like, no, I can't. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe they did just like I don't know, the name Lux Von Terry just brings back childhood memories. And of, I say childhood, like teen memories of the Clone Wars. And maybe they did, they, did, they did that on purpose because they didn't want people to like think it was like little, you know, cute little Lux Von Terry being like, hey, so good. Like, you know, they didn't want like that <laughs> image being in their heads. They wanted the mentor to be this grizzled, like mysterious badass that had all this information. And then you find out it's Lux Von Terry. It's like, you're like, oh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Yeah. So I think they, I, I could be purposeful too, which I can respect that if that was the case because i mean i like i mean i, I didn't really care about well actually that's not true i like lux in the um slavers arc i love that arc um but not because of him by any means but um you know i do like him in the Onderon arc a lot it's a good arc so I, he was part of it so i, I i'll give him some <laughs> it was good and he was there that's, yeah that's yeah all I, can say. He didn't no, I i really <laughs> he he was like he was definitely a teenage boy in the Clone Wars, and he grew quite a bit in the Clone Wars because of Ahsoka and because of Steeler and the other people he knew. He became a better character because of them. Whether or not you like him, he definitely did, and it was good. I think to get that kind of resolution with him in this book because Steeler's been brought up again. Saw's come back. Ahsoka's had her thing in Rebels, and like Onderon is a name that people know now in, the, in Star Wars, like outside of the Clone Wars. But Lux is always kind of just like, I've kind of wondered about him before. I've been like, where did Lux go? Did he join the Empire? And what happened to him? Um, and so it was nice, at least for me, to get this resolution and to see his character growth as well, that he was like, he wanted to fight for Saw's dream, but he still didn't want to be an extremist. Like he, I think even Ahsoka's lessons probably remained with him there because she never really wanted to kill people because she was a Jedi. Obviously she wanted the more peaceful route. And, but he still had like Steela in him too, because she was the more extremist one. And I think it was kind of cool to see that legacy 
continue on into this book. And I didn't expect it at all. Like I knew the Parsons were in here, but I didn't know how much they were going to actually talk about Saw or Stila or anything like that. And even just to see like Ahsoka mentioned in passing just as the Jedi was kind of cool. Like as a Clone Wars yeah. fan, somebody who loves, who like, I loved the Onderon arc just because of Stila and Ahsoka's friendship growing through that. Like I never expected a resolution for it, but it kind of came in this and it was really nice. Yeah, and I think, like, there are, I mean, I know we talk about the sort of theoretical, like, what if the people who hadn't watched The Clone Wars read this, and I would love to hear from people that who, like, either haven't watched The Clone Wars or haven't read things about the Partisans before, like, I'd love to hear how, because there's so many different pieces in this book, I'd be really interested, like, tweet us or something about how your experience was of this, but, like, what you said in terms of the use of Lux particularly, I kind of felt that he was, like you said, we got to see the answers that the Clone Wars fans wanted. And basically, if you are a Clone Wars fan, I can see why this would be exciting to you. That was like a really convoluted way to say that, but that's what (laughs) I meant. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the mentor himself acts as a good character to kind of balance out Aiden in a way. Like at the end, you kind of get the impression that she didn't kill him. She just stunned him and let him live because she was like, you know what? He's not a bad guy. He's got a family kind of thing. And I think family is quite a strong part of this. Like he didn't want to betray his daughter and she didn't entirely want to make him, even though she wanted the answers. And I think she realized that he wasn't going to be a danger to the Empire after that point. So she just let him live because of that. And I think that was an interesting kind of thing to see for Aiden, who'd been so strongly in support of the cause, like she'd killed Sane for it. And she kind of let all those other deaths happen. She even like let her mother believe she was a traitor for the cause. And I think seeing that at least kind of gives you a sense of her humanity despite that. And he helped with that. And I mean, I never really expected Lux Bonteri to be the character to do that in anything Star Wars, really. But it was kind of cool. And I think in his own right, the mentor is a great character for this book. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on this book before we're wrapping um, up? No, I think my general impression is that it was good. It made me more excited for the game. I'm hesitant to say... No, I guess I guess I will say if you liked Twilight Company, expect this to be a very different kind of book, but it is also worth reading. Yeah, it's a different kind of book, but it kind of has the same core hot idea of Twilight Company in a lot of ways. Like it's it's very different, but it kind of resonated with me in some similar ways. And the cover sense. art is also very similar and very pretty. I've just been kind of gazing at it as we sit here. It's, it's so pretty. I need to buy the hard cover of that book. Yes. All right, Paul, any final thoughts? Well, uh, I, I almost... I'd be remiss to not mention my my homeboy Pia Cow. I <laughs> loved him. Oh my god, and the weird robots, yeah. Yeah, it's so cute, Pia Cow. And uh, Janina uh, has a really cute voice for Pia Cow that I kept being like, "Oh, it's so cute." It, yeah, I, I love Pia Cow. He's like a for people who want to know who he is. He's like one of those bat creatures from A New Hope in the uh, Moss Isaac Cantina. Oh. And so yeah, so he's he's super adorable and like I just want like more Pia Cow, uh basically. Um so yeah, he's great. I almost I didn't want to forget about him. I think this book is 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 okay. I don't know if it's if you're a hardcore Star Wars fan, I think you should read it. If you're in kind of a you know, you like reading some of the books, again, is it essential reading? I don't think it's essential. But I think if you love the Star Wars canon and you want to read more read as much as you can or read most of the stuff, I think this is definitely worth reading. Yeah, I think canon-wise, it's not essential reading, but reading-wise, it's a solid book, and it's pretty fun, and it's relatively easy to chew through. So, yeah, if you read Star Wars books for that, then I would definitely suggest it. If you're reading Star Wars books just for canon, eh, 
it, it ties a lot of things together, but it's not necessarily like big groundbreaking thing. But it is it varies from okay to quite good, depending on who you ask. Whoa, did not mean to hit the table there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so your mileage may vary with this book. Yes. But it is it is definitely a very solid book. And Go- Christy Golden's writing, once again, is very solid and fun yes. to read. Agreed. So yes, hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts on Lux Bonteri, especially if you haven't read the book. I mean, not read the book, seen the Clone Wars. Please don't hit us up if you haven't read the book and talking about Lux Bonteri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to um, know. Yeah, if, yeah if you haven't seen the Clone Wars or if you didn't like the Clone Wars or you have other thoughts on Lux, please hit us up on Twitter because I am genuinely curious about this. Um, our Twitter is Blaster Cannon Pod, I think. It's, it's, yeah, it's at Blaster Cannon Pod, P-O-D. Yes, there we are. Yes, and you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. Paul, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. All right, Megan, where can people find you? You can find me at Blog Full of Words on Twitter as well as on Den of Geek, my re- most recent um, – is it my most recent – my article about Inferno Squad is on uh, denofgeek.com. I also have an interview with Jennifer Miro about Forces of Destiny. Uh, that's up at the moment if you want to check that out. Cool. You can just do stuff on Den of Geek. So, yes, you can find us at Den of Geek. We are a Den of Geek podcast. Thank you for listening, and may the force be with you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.